The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Let's look to the Lord in prayer, and we'll get into the Word. Uh, Father, we thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace, and I pray, dear God, that you would help us never uh, get over the awe that you would taste death for us, that you would die for our sins, that, Lord Jesus, you suffered, you were bruised for our iniquities. Thank you so much for all that you went through for us and experiencing God's wrath upon our sins on your own body. Lord, we have been bought with a price, a very high price. Thank you, you've redeemed us and that our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We do pray that you'd help us to glorify you both in body and in spirit and help us as we worship you once again this afternoon to do so in spirit and in truth. Lord, I'm, I'm humbled. I don't know why every time the Lord we come that uh, Pastor Smith is so gracious to uh, allow me to speak. Uh, I know he's a, a faithful preacher of thy word. Father, I pray that you would uh, fill me with thy spirit. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Help me to encourage, to build up your people. May you be exalted, may you be pleased and glorified. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm just, if you would allow me to digress a little bit just to review uh, this morning's message. We talked about the fact that we should be ambassadors for Christ and that he's given us a ministry of reconciliation. And he's also given us the word of reconciliation. Now, that word is not used often uh, in, in the day in which we live. Uh, reconciliation, be reconciled. Uh, there are two parties at odds, and God is at odds with, with people. Why is he at odds with people? Because of sin. Because of sin. And what, do, what, is he, what does God require of sinners? To pray and ask Jesus to come to their hearts. No, no, no. We know that. That's not what he wants. Okay, there, there is repentance. And, you know, I, I was hearing from a seminar. It was actually to help parents as, they, as we raise up children, um, growing kids God's way. And I remember hearing the seminar. talks about this idea of repentance and what it means. Repentance is more than just being sorry. Um, he made it very, very practical. A lot of times when, you know, there's one who's been, been offended and there's one who's the offender. And they've done something that hurt someone else. And oftentimes, little children, what they would do is, uh, they, all they would say is, well, you have a, a brother, uh, a big brother and a little brother fighting one, one another, and this man who's at fault. But one, usually, he doesn't really want to admit that they're at fault. And what do they normally do? The parents would say, well, you know, you, know, you did this wrong, and you ought to, you ought to, you need to, you need to say sorry and apologize. And what often happens? They do it grudgingly. 
They don't do it willingly, do they? They say, okay. Sorry. You know, are they really sorry? Not really. And it's almost like when you say sorry, they're not specific. Sorry about what? Sorry that I hit you. Sorry I, I grabbed something, a toy from your hand. They just, sorry. And after they say sorry, they think, see, I said sorry. She, you need to forgive me now. And when they have that, this, you can already tell it's, there's something wrong with their attitude and the disposition. They say, sorry, now you need to forgive me. But repentance is, is when you really have a heart to say, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm, I've wronged you. And in a humble spirit, you actually say, you know, I want to make this right. Let's be reconciled. Get things right with the Lord. And what do you say? When you say, will you please forgive me for, and I did this, you're specific. When you're asking for forgiveness, that means you're letting the other person you've offended, you still let, the ball is in their court. Does that make sense? And now they have a choice to, okay, whether to forgive or not to forgive. Amen? But when you have this attitude, I'm sorry. Sometimes you have teachers, students, same thing. You have kids acting up in class, disrespecting the teacher, disrupting the lesson. Your other classmates aren't learning. What are you? Hey, you need to get this right with the teacher. Sorry. See, I said it. I'm done. But, you know, when you really are specific, what are you repenting of, amen? And they really say, Lord, will you please forgive me? I need your forgiveness. Uh, look at Ephesians, Ephesians 4, Ephesians 4. And I'm just going to finish up that thought, and then we'll get into a, a different message. Ephesians 4, verse number 32. Ephesians 4, verse number 32. And I, you know, husband-wife relationship... Sometimes as a father, there's been so many times the Lord's humbled me. I'm not a perfect father. Many times I have to ask for my children's forgiveness. I don't just say, sorry. No, I have to really be specific. My tone of voice, I provoked him to wrath. And I have to be very specific as far as, will you please forgive your daddy? And I want them to say, oh, daddy, it's okay. It's okay. No, 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 no. I, I, I need to get this right. I need your forgiveness in this area. And it's really humbling when, when your children say, I forgive you, Daddy. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32, And be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. Why? How come God can forgive you and I? Because the penalty to which you sin is death, and Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Amen. Well, yet, yet sin as Christ died for us. And so on the basis of what Christ, his blood that was shed, the atonement for our sins, his death on the cross, his resurrection, we could be forgiven. And um, if you look also in 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians 7, I just want to finish up that thought. And I was running out of time this morning, and I'm just going to finish up that thought, and then we'll get into um, another lesson, another message. 2 Corinthians 7, Pastor talked about repentance, and this is so important. 2 Corinthians chapter number 7. Verse number 8, it says there, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 8. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now I rejoice not that ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrow to repentance. For ye... 
For ye were made sorry after a godly matter, manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance unto sal- uh, repentance to salvation, not to be repented of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. Now you don't have to raise your hand, but I'll ask this question, and I want you to think about this for a moment here. How many of you have ever come across someone who told you, oh yeah, I used to go to a Baptist church, or I used to believe that, or I used to be a Christian, and now I'm in another religion. I don't know if you've run into people like this. I've met people in America, I've met people in China, and it's almost like if you look at verse number uh, 9 there, I'm sorry, not verse number 9, Verse number 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. You know, I wonder when people say, I used to be a Christian, but I regret becoming a Christian, and now I'm glad I'm part of this other group. I'm sorry, but that is the repentance of the world. Godly sorrow will work in a person's heart that realize they've come short of the glory of God, I've offended God. You're not afraid of what the government will do for, to you. If you broke the land, uh, the law of the land, you're not afraid of the FBI. You're not afraid of the Secret Service or whoever's going to come after you. But you're, you realize, I've offended God. I'm in trouble. And this is godly sorrow where you're going to, you're going to work repentance. You change your mind about yourself, about who God is, about your sin. And when you trust Christ your Savior, you're not going to regret that. Amen? The only thing I ever regretted is that I regret that I didn't get saved sooner. I didn't, or I regret I didn't begin taking my Christianity seriously after I was saved. So if you ever meet people who say, oh, yeah, I used to be a Christian. I used to, then, you know, I'm sorry. You had what the Bible talks about this. The sorrow of the world, it worked with death. They didn't have godly sorrow. Amen? I mean, just, they didn't have it. It wasn't the repentance to salvation. And uh, so... We are ambassadors to Christ. We have a ministry of reconciliation where there are two parties. God and sinners are at odds. And the only way to reconcile them is if sinners experience godly sorrow and they repent toward God and then place their faith in Jesus Christ and we're forgiven for Christ's sake. Amen? That's very, very important here. I know it's just a review, but I just want to finish that thought because, again, we live in a day and age where people have no idea what it means to be an ambassador for Christ, what is our ministry, and what, what is the word that God has given to you and I? Um, let's, let's go to uh, Mark. Mark chapter number 3. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3, we'll look at verse number thir- uh, 12. Beginning at verse number 12. Actually, let's, let's go to verse number 14. Verse number 14. Um, let's see. Can we stand? Can we stand on the new word of God if we could stand? Stretch a little bit. Mark chapter number 3. We'll look at verse number 14. Mark 3, verse 14. It says here, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, 
and that he might send them forth to preach. And notice the order here. Before he sent his 12 apostles to preach, he ordained them. The first priority there is that they should do what? They should be with him. They should be with him. Thank you for standing. You could be seated. I know that the harvest is plenteous, the laborers are few. And no one knows that better than the Lord of the harvest. But there are so many today that are so zealous as far as being a laborer, a laborer in the harvest field. I remember uh, a friend of mine, uh, we went to the same Bible college, uh, he was in Las Vegas, and I remember uh, they spent a summer interning there, and Las Vegas is known to be as Sin City. And their job during their internship was to knock on doors eight hours a day in the hot sun of, in, in Las Vegas. Now, I don't know the population as far as uh, Las Vegas. You can, you can easily look it up on your smartphone. You don't have to do it right now. And, uh, but, you know, I mean, knocking on doors for eight hours. Now, I'm not saying whether that's good or bad. But when I look at the world in which Jesus lived then and today, when he ordained his 12 apostles... The first priority was not to go and preach the gospel to the lost. His first priority was to say, hey, I'm going to ordain you, but I want you to come. And first, that they should be with him. Now, I don't know the last time that you and I have ever spent time in the word of God in prayer and taking a psalm book and singing his praises for eight hours. But if we spend time eight hours a day door knocking, then we're spending eight hours less time with him. Does that make sense? We're spending so much time with lost sinners. Oh, I need to be the cause of their salvation. That's not what God wants us to do. He called his 12 apostles to spend time with him. My topic this afternoon is the idea of, I believe, unfortunately, that we live in a day and age where most Christians, all they know about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ is by second-hand information. I'm saying this again. Most nominal Christians today, all that they know about their Lord and Savior is through second-hand information. What do I mean by that? Let's say, because we live in a, a day and age where people check uh, their text messages, instant messaging, email, and when they get it, they'll, it it's, it's kind of like this. Uh, if someone would have sent you an, an email... But you decide you don't want to read it. You decide you have your wife read it, your husband read it, you have your children read it, you have someone else read it. They read that, and I say, hey, so you, got, you, you got mail. Remember the old, I never use AOL, but you got mail. And they tell you, you got a new email. And you decide not to read it, you have someone else read it for you. They said, oh, who did I get that, mail, that email from? Uh, you got it from, and they told you, oh, well, what did he say, what did she say? And everything's just going through someone else. I say, okay, well, hmm, maybe I should respond. Hey, can you, can you reply that for me? You know, oftentimes when we run into some difficulty or something unexpected, and I'm guilty of this, I immediately say, oh, I need prayer. You know what I do? I get on what we do in China. We get on what, what WeChat. And I get into our church, and then we get into our chat group, and I say, oh, I ran into this difficulty. Please, everyone pray for me. 
And I realize I do that without first thinking, you know, I should just pray the Lord first myself. We really solicit prayer from other people. We want to go to other people and talk to other people about it. Oh, you don't know what just happened. And I realize, boy, why don't I just spend time with the Lord alone in prayer first before I solicit the prayer of others? This happened to me more times than it should happen. But Jesus ordained them that they should be with him. They should be with him. Now, the Apostle Paul, uh, in our day and age, there's a, there's a lot that's talked about as far as discipleship, and discipleship is important. But when you think about the Apostle Paul, who discipled the Apostle Paul? Do you know of anyone who discipled the Apostle Paul? In his earlier days, after he was converted, the Lord Jesus saved him when he was on the road to Damascus. If you look at Acts chapter number 9, go with me to Acts chapter number 9. It's amazing what the Lord did because the Apostle Paul was not part of the original 12. But if you look at Acts chapter 9, and God desires to have a personal one-on-one relationship with him. Not getting things through second-hand information. Now, thank, praise the Lord for Sunday school teachers. Praise the Lord for, for a, a godly pastor. And uh, it's good to be in the house of the Lord. But we're here usually on Wednesdays or on Sundays. The rest of the week, we need to cultivate this one-on-one relationship with our Lord and Savior. Amen? We need this. In Acts chapter number 9, this is after the Lord saved Paul. Or actually, he was Saul of Tarsus. And notice here in verse number 10, verse number 10, Acts chapter number 9, verse number 10. And there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him said, and to him said the Lord in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise, and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one, for one called Saul of Tarshish, for behold, he prayeth. And has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard of, by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy, on, on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me, to bear my name before the Gentiles." And kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my namesake. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house, and putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest, hath sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as it had been scales, and he received sight forthwith, and arose and was baptized. Now, interesting, Ananias, he, gets, he sees the Lord in a vision, and the Lord tells him to go, and I want you to help Saul. He's been praying, and he hasn't been eating in three days. And Ananias' response was, I don't want to do that. I've heard a lot of bad things about this guy. He's been persecuting those who call upon your name. I don't want to go. And the Lord convinces him that he is a chosen vessel. And he goes, and he addresses Saul as Brother Saul. 
Now, I don't use that term lightly. When I'm in China, if I don't know if you are a brother in the Lord, I don't just call someone dishong. And I don't know if people in our house should catch that. Certain people, I know the relationship with the Lord, and I call them brother. But there are others, I don't call them brother. I don't just use that term loosely. But he says, Brother Saul, I acknowledge you are a brother of the Lord now. The Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way, as thou camest, has sent me, that thou mightest receive thy sight, and be filled with the Holy Ghost. Now look at notice verse number 19. And when he had received meat or some food, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. Verse 21. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is not this he that destroyed them which called on this name in Jerusalem, and came hither for that intent, that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests? But Saul increased the more in strength, and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. And after that many days were fulfilled, the Jews took counsel to kill him. They felt betrayed. They wanted to kill him. And in verse 24, but they laying await was known of uh, sorry, but their laying await was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by, uh, by night and let him down by the wall in the basket. And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to whom? To the disciples. But they were they welcomed him with open arms. Welcome to the fellowship. Please give me the right hand of fellowship. No. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Now, how would you feel? You haven't been converted. You haven't been a Christian for many days. God saved them, transformed me, got excited. Instead of persecuting other believers, he became a believer himself and very, very fervent, very zealous to a point where the fellow Jews... They felt betrayed and wanted to kill him. And he looked for the disciples to seek help, to seek refuge, to seek comfort, to seek encouragement. Amen? And they're like, oh, oh. No, they were afraid of him. They didn't believe he was a disciple. Verse 27. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now, I mentioned how we can tell the difference between those who are the children of God and those who are not. See, I appreciate what Pastor Smith mentioned. The perseverance of the saints, amen? He was a, he was a saint in the Lord. The Lord saved him. If there's any reason why anyone would just quit right there. See, look at these Christians. Look at these disciples. They're not very loving. They don't have faith. They don't believe that God could save me and change me. They were afraid of him. Oh, he's not welcome here. No, no, no. He's not a disciple. He's lying. He's going to walk through the door. He's going to turn us in. But there was a Barnabas, praise the Lord. Amen. Stood up for him. But the rest didn't believe that he was a disciple. Look at chapter 11 now. Chapter 11. Chapter 11. Chapter 11. Look at verse... Number 25, verse 25, chapter 11, verse 25, and verse 26. There it says, Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus. That's wonderful. Who you know came from Tarsus? Saul. 
went to Saul's hometown, if you will, for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch. And it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. First place that they called a group of followers of Jesus Christ Christians was there. Barnabas and then Saul. So Barnabas did have a part in mentoring and encouraging and discipling, if you will, Saul of Tarshish, whom we know as the Apostle Paul. But look with me at Galatians now, Galatians chapter 1, Galatians 1, Galatians 1, Galatians 1. And this is perhaps the heart of the message here, Galatians 1. Are we okay this afternoon? Okay, we're not, we're not sleepy. Just want to make sure, okay. Galatians chapter 1, and notice verse number 13. Galatians chapter 1, verse number 13. It tells us here, For ye have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. This is Paul's testimony. And profited in the Jews' religion above many my equals in my own nation, be more exceedingly zealous of the, of the traditions of my fathers. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the heathen, immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went into Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him fifteen days. But other of the, Lord, of the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. It appeared that Saul of Tarsus, although he wasn't part of the original twelve, if you will, he didn't feel left out. There was Barnabas that helped him in the early days. But here, the Apostle Paul, notice he spent three years somewhere. Where was he those three years? What do you think he was doing there? Was he in Arabia or Damascus? Okay, he was away for a while. And notice in verse number 16, it says that God revealed, uh, the Father revealed his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood, if you hold that thought for a moment here, look at Proverbs. Look at Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11, verse number 14. Proverbs 11, verse number 14. This is what I'm getting at as far as cultivating a, and developing a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God. We have brothers and sisters in the Lord. We have a great church family here. We could study the Bible together. And we should. We should meet. We should not forsake the assembly of ourselves together as a manner of some is. But so much the more as you see the day approaching. But look, notice Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11, look at verse number 14. Proverbs 11, verse number 14. It says there, where no counsel is, what happens? Where no counsel is, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. There's safety. Uh, look at chapter 15, Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15, verse number 22. Proverbs 15, verse number 22. Proverbs 15, verse number 22. It tells us this. Without counsel, purposes are disappointed. But in the multitude of counselors, they are 
established. It talks about multitude of counselors. Look at Proverbs 24, verse number 6. Proverbs 24, verse number 6. Proverbs 24, verse number 6. It says here, For by wise, what? Counsel, thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors there is safety. Three times it talks about in the multitude of counselors there is safety. And we should have good counselors, amen? People that fear and love the Lord. But isn't it interesting... And, you know, there's a saying in Chinese, because, you know, in the Chinese language, we cannot have all caps, and we don't bold text. See, in the English text, if it's very important, all caps, bold. But the Chinese say, if I teach you a little bit of Chinese, is this. If it's important, if you need to emphasize it, say it three times. And we see it right here in Proverbs, what did I write down? 11, 14, 15, 22. And chapter 24, verse 6, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Right? Multitude of counselors. It's there. It's, it's Bible. But if you look here, in the Apostles Paul's life, let's go back to Galatians 1. Galatians 1. This is interesting. Okay? It's very interesting here. Galatians chapter 1. Multitude of counselors. But what did Paul do here? If you look carefully again in verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 15, Galatians. But when it pleased God, God was pleased... By doing this, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace. He knew who God, who, who called him. Amen? It wasn't a seminary. It wasn't a Bible college. It wasn't a group of pastors or elders. Amen? He says, I know that I'm God called. Called me by his grace to reveal his son in me. That I might preach him among the heathen. And if you understand from a Jewish mindset, the heathen were Gentiles. He was apostle of the Gentiles. Immediately, I conferred not with flesh and blood. Someone might think, wow, you are very arrogant. Don't you know what Proverbs says three times? In the multitude of counselors, there's safety. Why in this instance, the apostle Paul says, I did not confer with flesh and blood? Because he had a good one-on-one relationship with the Lord. He was so certain what God's will for his life was. Amen. That he didn't do this. In fact, verse 17, he didn't even go up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me. He didn't say, you know, I'm not sure about this. I mean, I persecuted the church. God's going to call me? I don't think that's possible. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved the wrench like me. And he didn't have to go to the other apostles, Peter, James, and John, and say, hey, do you think God can use someone like me? He didn't, go, he, didn't, he didn't go to Jerusalem. He went to Arabia. He was there for three years. And he had to unlearn the ways of the Pharisees. Amen? For three years, walking with the Lord. In verse 18, after those three years, he did, he did eventually see Peter, and he only spent 15 days with him. And other the apostles saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. Paul had an intimate, one-on-one relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he wants to have that with you and I. If you look with me to 1 first, uh, first Corinthians, first, first Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15. 
I'm not going to minimize discipleship. Thank God there was Barnabas in Saul of Tarsus' life. Amen? But how long will discipleship last? How long do you need to have a discipler and a disciplee? First Corinthians 15. First Corinthians 15. Notice verse number 9 there. First Corinthians. Or let's go to verse number, verse number 7. After that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not meet to be called an apostle. Because I persecute the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And by his grace which is bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Notice he said it was not in vain. What grace is this? I know that we're saved by grace through faith. There's grace unto salvation. But this grace was sanctification. This grace was Christian growth. This grace was the ability to serve the Lord Jesus Christ and bear fruit. And fruit that remains. Amen? And notice it says here, it was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all. Who's all? Who's he talking about there? I'm sorry? The other apostles. Now, I just want to ask here. In, in our midst of worship, as we're worshiping the Lord together here at Berean Baptist Church, how many of you here you'd say, I'm of Jewish descent? Are there, are there any who are Jewish here? Is there anyone who's, who's a Jew? Are there some here tonight? That means we're, in some way, shape, or form, we're, we're the fruit of the Apostle Paul. He was the Apostle of Gentiles. He labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. I'm not here to exalt Paul. I'm here to exalt the God who saved him and gave him that grace to serve him and bear fruit. Amen? He labored more abundantly than they all, the other apostles that were called before him whom he didn't seek their counsel. In fact, if you understand, if we go back to Galatians, please go back to Galatians with me here. Remember, Barnabas was actually very instrumental in his young Christian life, was he not? When everyone was afraid of him, when everyone didn't think that he was a disciple, when everyone says, hey, you're not welcome to fellowship with us, because we're afraid you're lying, that you're a spy, you're going to turn us in. Barnabas stood up for him. But there was a day in the Apostle Paul's life when even Barnabas disappointed him. In, Gal in Galatians chapter number 2, Galatians chapter number 2, and we'll look at verse number 8. Galatians 2, verse number 8, it says, for, that, for, uh, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, one of those to the Jews, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles, and when James, Cephas, which is Peter, um, and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave to me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. Now, James, Peter, and John, they were pillars. They were pillars of the faith, amen? They played lead roles. They weren't the coal star. They weren't behind the scenes. But what happened with them? Notice verse number 10. 
Only they would, uh, only they would that we should remember the poor, the same which I also was forward to do. But when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. Paul, how dare you? Who are you to withstand Peter to the face? It was Peter that preached at Pentecost. It was Peter that actually walked on water. Who are you, Paul? And those verse 12. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were of the circumcision. Verse 13. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with, with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissimulation. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, this was an open rebuke. If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as the Jews? Who, uh, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Wow. What did Paul have to do? He had to correct an apostle who walked with the Lord. And he had to correct and rebuke a reverend man. Who else? Barnabas! How could Paul do this? How can he have that courage? It wasn't because he had the approval of the brethren. It wasn't because he had the approval, again, of some association of fellowship or some Bible college or some seminary. Paul had an intimate, one-on-one relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Yet Paul, he was, he wasn't proud. He says he was least, least of, the, of all the apostles, didn't even deserve to be called an apostle. If you look at Ephesians, look for me to Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3, verse number 8. Ephesians 3, verse number 8. He didn't seek after flesh and blood. He didn't seek the counsel of those apostles that were before him. He walked with the Lord for at least those three years intimately. Ephesians chapter three, verse number eight. It says, "Unto me who am least than uh, who, who, am, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ." Paul was not a proud man, although at times he didn't apply what we see in Proverbs: a multitude of counselors, there's safety in a multitude of counselors. He says, you know, I don't need counselors when I know the Lord and his will already. It's very clear. And if I see Barnabas and Peter, if they've committed some offense, they wanted the, they wanted the Gentiles to do, what did they, what did they demand of the Gentiles? Circumcision and to live like the Jews. To a point where Barnabas wouldn't even want to fellowship with Gentiles if they weren't circumcised. He had to correct Barnabas as well. 
But here he was not, he, Apostle Paul was a, a proud individual. He was humble. Uh, if we look at 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1, 1 Timothy 1. 1 Timothy 1. Look at 1 Timothy 1. Look at verse number 12 there. 1 Timothy 1, verse number 12. And I thank... Uh, are we there? 1 Timothy 1? 1 Timothy 1, verse number 12. And I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who hath enabled me. He knew why he was able. It's Christ Jesus, his Lord, enabled me. For that he counted me faithful. The Lord counted him faithful. Putting me in the ministry. The Lord put him in the ministry. Who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. The Apostle Paul was not proud. He says, I am the chief of sinners and he, and he loved me and saved me. And Paul, what else did Paul do? He walked with the Lord. He had an intimate one-on-one relationship with the Lord. Paul also sought, what else did Paul do? Paul also sought this. He also sought prayers of others. Look at Romans, Romans 15, Romans 15. Paul never got to a point where he realized, hey, I don't need your prayers. I don't even need your counsel. Look at me. I don't need to confer with flesh and blood. No, that wasn't Paul. Uh, Romans, let's look at Romans 15. Romans 15. He knew where he came from. He was a chief of sinners. He persecuted the church, and yet God called him, enabled him, showed him mercy, cleansed him, cleaned him up, and allowed him to labor even much more than the other apostles. But it wasn't him, it was the grace of God for the glory of God. Uh, Romans chapter 15. Look at Romans 15, look at verse number 28. It says here, When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this fruit, I will come by you into Spain. And I am sure that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the love of Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your, in your what? In your prayers to God for me, that I may deliver, uh, that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, and that, and that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God, and may be with you. I may, may with you be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. He desired prayers of others. Amen. He walked to the Lord. He prayed to the Lord. He spent time in the Word himself, meditating. He probably spent time in prayer and in praise and singing the Lord. But he did not believe that he didn't need the prayer of others. He, he asked for prayers. Uh, look at Ephesians. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6. Look at verse number 18. Ephesians 6 verse number 18. Ephesians 6, verse number 18. You say, how can Paul rebuke Peter? How can he rebuke Barnabas? Well, he knew what the, Lord, what the Lord's will, what it is, and that they weren't doing the Lord's will. But at the same time, he didn't believe that he could ever get to a point where sometimes maybe he's, he could get out of the will of God. He sought prayers. Look at Ephesians 6, verse number 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all pers perseverance and supplication for all saints. As for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Paul was asking for, pr for prayer, that he have boldness. 
He asked for prayer. First Timothy, First Timothy chapter five, verse, uh, First Timothy five twenty-five. First Timothy chapter five, verse number twenty-five. First Timothy chapter five, verse number twenty-five. And notice what it says here. Paul writing this letter, this epistle to the, to the to those in Thessalonica. What, what does it say there, brethren? Pray for us. The Apostle Paul went to th- spent three years in Arabia and he made sure of his calling. That God enabled him. God called him. God gave him the grace. There are times in his life he didn't seek the counsel of flesh and blood. There are times when he knew, hey, that, that Peter, that Barnabas, I need to withstand them to the face. But Paul never got to a point where he was just, look at me. He says, no, I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm the least of all the saints. I'm the least of all the apostles. I'm the chief of all sinners. In three areas, he asked for prayer. Three areas. First Thessalonians 5, Ephesians 6, Romans 15. Again, according to what the Chinese believe, it's not all caps, it's not bold, but it's repeated three times you see him asking for prayer. Amen? But look at uh, Acts 17. We're going to close with this. Acts 17. Look at Acts 17. We see the Apostle Paul, who wrote more than half of the New Testament. But he was humble. God gave grace unto the humble, and he, but he... What does he do to the proud? He resists the proud. He gives grace unto the humble. But look at Acts 17. Acts 17. And we know the name of our church here is Berean. And notice the Apostle Paul. He was, he was not offended by, by what they did. Look at this. In Acts 17, verse number 10 and 11. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind. And what did they do? They searched the scriptures daily whether those things were so. Whether what things were so? Whether Paul's preaching was so. And Paul, he wasn't offended. He said, you don't believe me? Keep searching it. See if anything I'm teaching you contradicts anything from the Old Testament. And he was not offended when they said, no, okay, thank you, Paul. That was a good message. I'm going I'm to meditate on that. I'm going to ponder what you just said there. But I'm going to keep searching the scriptures. Let's see if those things are so, if it's true. And I want to encourage Berean Baptist Church family, one-on-one relationship with God. How much do you know of God is because of your one-on-one time with Him? Or, do you, or is a large percentage of what you know about God, it's second-hand information. It's what my Sunday school told me. It's what my Christian teacher, uh, my Christian educator in a Christian school taught me. It's what my parents taught me. It's what my pastor taught me. Or do we get directly from our one-on-one time with the Lord? I remember before leaving Beijing, we we were very busy trying to meet with as many people as we could before we left, and trying to trying to donate things or try to sell, donate or try to pack it away or ship it uh, to the states. And I remember I, I told Joyce, I said, you know, I don't want to neglect our kids. We've been so busy. And I said, we need to have some, not one-on-three time, we need to have some one-on-one time with, with, with our children. And I remember um, there was a day, I think it was on a Tuesday morning, and I, and I spent some time with each of our children. And I said to Justice, and I said to Abel, I said, what would you like 
to do before we leave Beijing? What would you like to do? And I had that one-on-one time. And I remember uh, by the end of that day, we had Thanksgiving time. And I, and I said, well, you know, what, what are you thankful for from, from, from today? And I remember uh, Justice, he said this. He says, I thank God that I had one-on-one time with Daddy today. He says, I thank God I had one-on-one time with, with Dad today. You know, sometimes we could have one on many. But God wants to have one on one time with you. He ordained the twelve that they should be with him before we send them off to preach. I'm not saying go find your Arabia and spend three years there. And I'm not even saying you need to spend three hours somewhere locked up in the closet. But we need to have some good quality one-on-one time with our, with our God, amen? And there are times when others around pillars of the church that may disappoint us. Peter, James, John, Barnabas. But the Apostle Paul says, what are you guys doing here? What are we requiring of the Gentiles? Why is this this double standard? Let's stand. Closing prayer. Father, I thank you that you are no respecter of persons. I thank you that you love all of us, but you also love us individually as a person. And you desire that one-on-one time with us. Father, please. I pray that you'd help us to value, to treasure, to cherish quiet time that we can have with you. For some of us, our jobs are demanding. For some of us, we have children. Some of us, we have grandchildren. Lord, there are times, Lord, we need to go to that solidary place and there pray. Lord, I pray that you would grow us in the grace and knowledge of Lord Jesus Christ, that we would seek your face, and that we would desire God as a heart panted after the water brooks, may our soul thirst after thee. 
may most of what we know about God isn't secondhand information from someone else. Lord, as we read our Bibles, we're not all reading the same place. Some are in the Old Testament, some are in the New Testament, but God, I pray that we cherish that time with you. I thank you for Paul's testimony. I thank you that you, by your grace, saved him, and you gave him the grace to serve you. They labored more abundantly than the apostles chosen before him, called before him. There are times we need counselors. There are times when, Lord, we know for sure what you've called us to do. We have enough scripture to know that this is what God wants. We don't need to confer with flesh and blood. And there are times when even the pillars of the church, we need to go. And talk to them like Paul did with Peter and Barnabas. Father, I thank you for Paul's humility. I thank you he did seek prayers of others. I thank you how he never addressed himself as some big shot. And at the same time, Lord, I thank you that he was not offended by those at Berea who didn't just take everything he taught, hook, line, and sinker. He allowed them to search the scriptures daily to see of what he said were so. Lord, help us. As we seek to abide in you, you've ordained us to do so, that we could bear fruit, and herein is our Father glorified by that. Thank you, Lord, for hearing our prayers. Help us to finish our race well for thee. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronert Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Berean Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web at www.bebaptist.org.